The following is a Mission Studios podcast. Promotional consideration for this episode is given to our friend Alexis Arlim from the When the Bow Breaks podcast. Check out her new show featuring conversations with people dealing with parental estrangement. Look for the link in this week's show notes. Coming to you pre-recorded and edited from Mission Studios, this is the Missionary Position podcast. We believe that offense is taken, not given. That humor can be found in anything and everything. That owning your shit is more important than worrying about someone else's. It's Sunday. It's March 17th. And I spent the last week flip turn upside down. I'm Jason. And I'm AC. And on this week's episode... We set ourselves off on purpose. We send ripples through space and time. Spooky. We plug another better podcast. Then we get into some hot mother daughter action. Ooh, so wow. Turn off the lights, lay down, and get ready for Aunt Mama's chocolatey pancakes. <laughs> Ew. This is episode 24. <laughs> so, I actually want to have a discussion about how much of an impact we have without even realizing it on society. Okay. I was having a conversation the other day with my, with my kid and uh, I started to realize how the person I was before my kids were born, Mm -hmm. asshole, don't give a fuck about anybody. I don't really know how to love because I never had anybody to love. Sorry. The asshole part I don't imagine has really changed. (laughs) No, it hasn't. (laughs) But but now at least it's in check because I've learned how to love from my kids. Okay. And like we were just talking about, you know, what happens in the world and what's going on here, what's going on there. And then it got a little bit deeper and I started to realize that by learning how to love because of my kids, the influence and relationships that it's had with me growing with you or with Lynn or however my scenario runs. Like how you relate to other people outside of your kids, you mean? Right. Okay. But because of my kids. Okay. So the experience of being a father has sort of like adjusted the way you engage the rest of the world. Right. On a very big level, I think. It creates relationships. Like I don't classify myself really as having a lot of friends. I have a lot of acquaintances. Mm-hmm. I have a few friends. But those friendships are that much more dear to me because of what I've learned from my kids, how to love, who to love, why to love. And then I see them out there and they give that to everybody. Yeah, it's kind of a cool experience, actually, right? Because I mean, like, I, I, I can identify to a degree with what you're saying as far as like how having kids changes us as people. Right. Maybe the, the changes for me aren't as dramatic I think as they were for you, but I definitely look at the world a little bit more differently now that I got kids. And like, I, I think a large part of it isn't like for me anyways, like not just the learning how to love. Cause I, I think I knew how to love before having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't th- think I knew how to love that hard, that strong before. Right. And not just like the love in the sense, the, like the way the kids hit you right in the feels, but, um, that idea of like the the action of love where you got to sort of like make shit work with people that you're stuck with in a way, right? Because, mm-hmm. I mean, your kids aren't fucking going anywhere in most cases. Right. So even if they're fucking assholes or even if you're an asshole, like between... Either you're stuck with the other. 
Exactly. Right. And everybody involved in that equation has got to like develop certain um, coping strategies sometimes, loving strategies, relationship strategies, even if you're not really think of, thinking about it in that way. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, fuck, you were just like basically here in prison together for fuck's sake. Right. And then to look at it on an outside, like how it takes off on a grander scale. Like I, I, and I know it's only been like three days since I've had this conversation. And this, for me, this was like a, a, a aha moment mm -hmm. because I didn't really see the effects because I was too close to myself as, as we all are. Oh, of course. Yeah. And then I really, over the last few days, started looking at how I'm interacting with people and how they're interacting with me and what I see from them because I have a better relationship with them because they also know my kids, who also gives them a good, positive feeling. Therefore, their feeling with me is going to be that much bigger. And then my mind went outside of that to, you know, they go to Abbotsford, they meet friends, they go to Vancouver. Dylan spent 420 last year in Vancouver. And all those people that he interacted with, like, this is huge. And it's amazing how much we don't see that we we are actually, because I had sex with this chick fucking 24 years ago, mm -hmm. all these people have been affected. And how much they would miss out if I didn't have sex with that chick. Most people would have to be in porn to have that sort of influence sexually. Right. No, but I mean, like, um, to, to take it back to, like, outside of... I guarantee of you, Max, there's no fucking way she was in porn. <laughs> Jesus, yeah. That's not porn I would fucking pay to see. Like, I don't even want to see it for free. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, like, e even if you never left the fucking house again, mm -hmm. your influence on the outside world would obviously continue in a pretty big way. Right. You know, and, and like... I don't know, it's, it's one of those trains of thought that I sometimes end up in, like, if my kids are really fucking pissing me off, because, I mean, anybody who's, like, got two boys can certainly fucking identify with me. Fucking boys are the devil. And you're not talking, like, your testicles downstairs, you're talking physical... Yeah, know, like, my actual sons. Like, right. you know, they can be challenging, and there are times where I think any parent at some point is, at least for a fleeting moment, had that moment where, like, you're sort of wondering, well, what would my life have been like if... I hadn't had kids, right? Mm -hmm. and I did like, that on a regular basis, yeah. Yeah, like talking to you, I mean, like typically you, you look at the the experience of having kids as being like a, a fairly obvious positive. Oh, definitely, yes. Right, whereas like there's there's times for me where it's like, okay, like if money's tight or if I'm tired or I'm stretched a little thin or I've just like had a bad run of like the, the one of the kids misbehaving, and realizing I'm not psychologically equipped to fucking deal with this fucking nonsense anymore. And I start wondering, like, why the fuck did I even have kids? Like, mm -hmm. and I start playing the fantasy game. It's like, it's not like I would send them back. I'm right. glad they're here. But at the same time, if I had it all to do over again, would I have decided to have the kids? Like, those sort of trains of thought. And, and it doesn't, see, and I don't want people getting down on themselves. Because, honestly, I can tell you I've never had that kind of a thought. I've, but I've used it as reflection. Mm -hmm. but I think I'm in a minority. Yeah, I would agree with that. Because there's a lot of people that go through this. I have heard from many parents, you know, you know, I've even thought about this and I've even thought about that. That doesn't make you a bad parent, it makes you realistic. Sure. So don't get down on yourselves out there for thinking like this. And, you know, you're not, you're not alone and it's not unrealistic. It's a, well, you know what, I can turn it around and turn it into this. You can turn it into anything you want to. You know, Just don't like go negative with it talking to you and like hearing about like your backstory it, it, it's like I, I agree with you i think like having kids for you what was like not just a life-changing event because i mean like anytime you have a kid it's a life-changing event right. 
but um, I think it was a life saving event for you, based on like what you're saying. Like you, you've told me, like the the road you were on. Mm-hmm. If you hadn't had kids to put the brakes and all that shit, you would have been in jail or dead or both. Mm-hmm. For me, um, it's a little bit more of a question mark. Where would I have ended up? And like when I have those moments where I start thinking, well, what would life be like if I didn't have kids? Well, there's no guarantee that my life would be anything special. You know, like maybe I wouldn't have have met my wife. Maybe we wouldn't. If we had met, maybe we wouldn't still be together. Because, I mean, like, couples hit rough patches. Mm -hmm. And truth be told, there's been a couple of, like, really brutal rough patches in the past where I don't know that we would have put the time in with each other if it wasn't that we had kids. You know, it it all comes back to, like, that, um, I guess, basically that ripple effect that, like, every choice that we we make, every action we take, like, it, it definitely causes this ripple effect that goes outward. And similarly i think like we're affected by the ripple effects that are coming inward from other sources Mm -hmm. including our kids and i don't know this this whole topic sort of gets me into this weird philosophical place where i start thinking about like um you've heard of the butterfly effect right absolutely you know and anybody who's unfamiliar fucking google it i don't feel like mansplaining it right now it's also a really good movie that explains it really well well movie that's even better moving pictures yep no words. <laughs> well, lots of words. <laughs> I guess like any of us, we can feel small and unimportant and irrelevant at times. Like our voice mm-hmm. isn't heard. You don't but, know where your fucking voice is heard because, you know. And if you want to feel important and you want to look at things, you know, if you are a parent, look at the situations where you're not even in it with your kids and they're affecting somebody. Like, Well, you're in at, it even when you're not in it. Looking at it from an outside perspective towards your kids. Mm-hmm. I know both your kids. They're both phenomenal additions to the human race. Mm-hmm. They're kind, caring, considerate, compassionate, understanding, warm. And the influence they have on their worlds when you're not around, just because they go to school. And whether you're like a stay-at-home parent or you're co-parenting or whatever your scenario is, they're going to be in a position where they're in their world without you. But your influence is going to make their influence that much more positive. And that's going to carry when another student goes home from school and brings his good attitude because he had a good interaction with your kid to his parent, and then his parent's going to go to work tomorrow with a positive attitude because he had a funny laugh from his kid who got a laugh from your kid, and he took it to work and shared it with the guys, and it was fun, and then there, and on and on and on and on and on. Yeah, who knows where the fuck it's It's huge. Like, I think a lot. I like thinking about this kind of shit, and this is mind-boggling. This is how big does it get how do we how do we quantify it that's the weird thing you know like because when we started talking about this a few days ago sort of in between then and now i i was thinking about like when my dad died he he, he died before my kids were born mm-hmm. like my wife was i think pregnant with my first son when when he died combination of things um one is like how much of his influence on me has like influenced my kids like how much of like what he brought positive or negative into my life, you know, ripples onto them and they're influenced by a person who wasn't even alive when they were born. Right. Um, the other thing was is like thinking about like my, my dad, like he was, um, he was a very bold, seemingly confident kind of guy. Mm-hmm. Right. But I know the type. <laughs> he always struggled with um, insecurity as far as like not feeling like he really made an impact on the world around him. And it's really unfortunate that, like, he never got to see uh, while he was alive, like, how much influence he had. Because, like, at his funeral, we had an open microphone. So anybody who had a story to share or something they wanted to say, 
uh, was was welcome to come up and say their piece. Mm -hmm. And it was shocking to me how many people came forward that I didn't even know that he knew. Some people who had never even met him, they just overheard him talking to like friends of friends kind of things, or like he was a church going kind of guy, right? So, I mean, people would overhear conversations in the church or how much profound positive influence he had on all all these people. Like the guy was important. He was a big fucking deal, but Mm -hmm. he didn't know it. Yep. So, so me speaking to that, mm -hmm. I have to say two things totally honestly. One, I very seriously regret that I came into your life. As late as I did, because I would have loved to meet this man. Yeah, I think you would have liked him. And two, I kind of feel sad because he would have been, well, he probably already was. The man that you've turned into now would have given him such a thrill because you have that intellectual spirit that you talk about in your dad all the time mm-hmm. is carried on you. And even through our podcast, he would see that like, Without a, without a hesitation. Shit, that's deep. Yeah. And it's pretty cool, dude. So it's amazing the influence we have, even around the world, like without a second thought of, okay, you know what, like there's 10, 15 people in my immediate area. All those people interact with somebody else who interacts with seven, seven, seven degrees of separation. Yeah. And out there in Asia, somebody's getting something from some kind of repercussion that happened here, like let's say two years ago. Like that's huge. That's so cool. That is fucking huge. So, you know food for thought and we all got to take stock and, and start realizing the influence that we're actually having yeah yeah make it good yeah absolutely you're making influence anyways make it a fucking good one mm-hmm. cool comments complaints or insults get into the missionary position on facebook or follow us on twitter at missionary pod or send us an email missionarypod at gmail.com Something that doesn't really get talked about, I think, enough in our society is mental wellness. People don't worry about it. Like, if you got a cast, everybody lines up to sign it. You get good support. If you got a cut, you get stitches, and nobody really judges you for it. Mm-hmm. But if you're struggling with like head stuff, just thoughts that are a little bit unhealthy, where you need medical intervention, there's like a lot of bullshit attached to that as far as how people are going to perceive you. Right. So you know, like I, I think. The best way to counteract that is to be open and honest about things when you're suffering with them. So I deal with extreme anxiety, mm-hmm. panic disorder, fairly severe OCD, PTSD. I suffer with depression and suicidal thoughts. Hmm. Okay. And I just want to put it out there. I'm not looking for sympathy from you fucking clowns unless the sympathy takes the form of a Patreon donation. <laughs> but I'm just trying to normalize the whole thing. Like we all got our shit that we carry around. Yep. But and, see, the problem is, in my opinion, a lot of people can't see it. Right. Therefore, oh, you must be foolish. You know, you can't be that bad. I see you out having coffee and having fun. And yeah, you see me out one day a week forcing myself to get the fuck out of my house. And I put a smile on my face so I'm not interrupted by idiots. Keep asking me what the fuck's wrong all day long. Or fucking people. I know what it's like to feel anxious. Well, no, you didn't see me for fucking three and a half hours trying to put my socks on because it was overwhelming, you cunt. Right. So... You know, the, the whole thing wasn't really to have a circle jerk about, like, what our fucking issues are. It's just a case of, like, look, these are the fucking issues. I'm putting it out there because I'm not ashamed. Mm-hmm. Really, the point that I think we were hoping to get to here is, like, we were talking about how we actually cope with this shit in the day-to-day. Right. 
you know, like mm-hmm. identifying what the issue is and then, you know, basically figuring out like how to function in a quote unquote normal person's world. Mm-hmm. Well, since you took all the fucking OCD and, and all the disability shine off me. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean I win? Well, yeah, because you've got suicidal too. Oh. So that part you win. One of the things I do to deal with my issues, mm-hmm. I create triggers so that when something subconscious happens, mm-hmm. I tick a finger or I make a certain movement or I touch something or I touch someone or I do something that's out of my ordinary. A trigger it, finger. And it <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> and it makes me think about the issue and then I retrograde through it to come to the conclusion of what the original offense was. Okay, so like you're starting at the symptom and walking it back to the cause. cause. Right. So okay. I actually go through and I think about, okay, so I created the trigger. Why did I create the trigger? I created the trigger because it was a problem that was happening and I didn't know how to handle the stress from it. Therefore, I have to look at this aspect. So I did that because of this and I walk, I quite literally take probably 45 minutes to two hours walking backwards through the problem to identify all the things that go on and get me there. Well, I guess it's sort of like more like a controlled environment when you're intentionally setting yourself off though, right? Oh, I'm not intentionally setting myself off. I'm remembering what set me off and creating a trigger so that when that episode happens again, I hit my trigger and it makes my head respond. It forces me into a situation where I'm conscious of the issue. I see. Well, it's kind of interesting. You know, it looks like we all have our different ways of like coping with shit. Right. And one of the things that bothers me is like when a cookie cutter approach is tried to be, is tried to be employed with, I guess, basically anything. And I think with mental health stuff, because it's so individualized, so personal and wrapped in stigma. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff that you're going to deal with. Right. And it's like, okay, you and I, we have certain issues that we share Mm -hmm. and other ones that we don't share. Right. But even the ones that we share, it's like, I can't give you advice on how to handle it anymore. You can give me advice on how to handle it effectively. Because, Other than shut the fuck up because you're bugging me. Yeah. Right. Because the issues, they sort of like play off of each other to a certain degree. And it creates unique little nuances that, you know, will definitely alter what kind of approach you need to take. Right. And and with our mental makeups, we have to take a different approach because that's how we look at the world. And yeah, like, I, I, I kind of like the way that you approach it. I mean, it, it sounds interesting. It sounds like it works for you. I mean, like I've, I've seen the, the results of it having worked for you in a lot of the ways. And yeah, you've seen me go through the process too. Yeah. Yep. You know, like I, I've got a, I guess it's not the same kind of process. It's, it's similar though. I mean, like I try to really take note of, okay, what happened in that situation where I say like had a panic attack. Right. First of all, it, like I, I don't get hung up on like, what was the trigger? I start with, was there a trigger? You know, was this a brain chemistry thing or was there like some environmental thing that set me off? Right. Okay. If there's an environmental thing that set me off, what else was happening at the same time? Maybe the, um, what I perceived to have been the trigger wasn't the actual trigger. Maybe it's all the other stuff that was subconscious that was associated with that one element that was on my actual conscious mind. Right. You know, and I I consider, okay, what meant, what, uh, not mental state, but what state was I in in general? Like, did I need to eat at the time? Was I tired? Mm-hmm. Um, had I just finished dealing with some fucking asshole? Right. Because all these things play into it. And I can sort of like walk it back similar to you, like a step at a time until I identify what the root cause is. And 
what I find helpful with that is if I know what the root cause is, I'm not like trying to figure out like how to deal with this meltdown in the moment. I'm trying to figure out how to avoid the trigger 10 steps before it fucking happens. Preventative rather than cause and effect like we've talked about before. Yeah. Because I I noticed with like mental health stuff, I mean, like everybody's got their fucking tipping point. Right. And once you've hit that tipping point, I don't give a shit who you are. You are not fucking walking it back then. Nope. Not in the moment anyways. Yeah. It's not, you just end up in a position where best case scenario, you're stuffing it deep down inside so that you can fucking melt down later. Mm Mm-hmm. But what I found to be very calming, it's not that, you know, I'm, I'm a huge success story because I'm still kind of fucked up in the head. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, a lot of like the, the everyday kind of shit, mm-hmm. it's really minimized. You found your ways of dealing with shit. I found my ways of dealing with shit. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of curious at like how a lot of other people deal with shit or like, even like, well, you're the, the, the resident psychology expert <laughs> for whatever that's worth. <laughs> Like, what are some of the methods of dealing with or avoiding shit that you've heard that you think are absolute trash? Okay, one of the things I think are absolute trash is when people pull this, don't worry about it, you're so strong, you've come through this before. Now go fuck yourself. Seriously? When somebody's going through something that is possibly traumatic, you're going to pat them on the back and tell them how strong they are. Can you think of anything else that is more asinine? More unrealistic? That's like when somebody close to you dies and some fucking dick comes up and gives you the whole time heals all wounds speech. Like, you obviously don't get it. And sometimes it doesn't heal. Time doesn't heal all wounds. Sometimes that shit is fucked up for eons. Mm. You die with that shit. Yeah. Not everybody fucking heals from this shit. I am so sick and tired of that platitude. It is encumbersome. It creates panic and it makes people feel like they're not good enough because in the end well it's been 10 years and it's i still haven't healed maybe there's something wrong with me no there's nothing wrong with you somebody was an idiot and told you some bad information yeah and you trusted that person so you took it to heart yeah like my my dad died back in 2002 mm-hmm. there's there's times where i still cry like a fucking baby over that and that's 17 years 17 years and yep. i'm not like you know a giant pussy most of the time well, not in your opinion. <laughs> not in my opinion. <laughs> but, you know, this, this, this shit sticks with me. I mean, I have mm-hmm. good days. I have bad days, just like with, with everything else. Right. But I, I don't need some other fucking person telling me that um, I should be over it or losing patience with me if I'm having an off day because, well, you know, the allotted time is passed for grief. So shouldn't you really be like more together now? No, fuck you. Yeah. You know, I, I another platitude I, I don't like is when people do that... Um, Oh, I'm there for you. No, you you can't be there for me. You know, I understand a lot of people have that sympathy barrier on them that they have to keep a little bit distant. So I'm there for you, hands off, kind of, you know, call me if you, um, if you need to talk. And then you call and it goes to voicemail. Yeah, can I get back to you? Or, oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy. Can I get back to you? Well, you know, I'm not going to call you every time, but once in a while... I expect you to be available if you say you're going to. I don't expect you to fucking be there every single fucking time I need somebody. Sometimes people get busy, and I understand that. Sure. But 90% of people never follow through with the, you can call me. No, it's just kind of empty bullshit. Like, I'll pray for pray for you, or... Oh, good God. I want to buy a crucifix just so when somebody fucking tells me they can fucking pray for me, like a billy club type, <laughs> so I can fucking hit them with it. <laughs> 
one of the things I was reading about on, on Facebook in the last couple of days was there was a story about some athlete who I guess finally succumbed to whatever her psychological issues were and took her own life. Oh. You know, some of the comments, like, I, I think they were well-meaning, but ultimately just showed like how out of touch a lot of people can be. So they were sort of more sort of like personal. Oh, stuff like, oh, I, 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 I bet she she didn't have anybody to talk to. How sad. So, you know, like I piped in and I said, like, I, I'm one of those people that deals with these thoughts. And I've got people I know for a fucking fact I can talk to. That's mm -hmm. not the goddamn point. You got people that you know will die for you. Yeah. And that's not the fucking point. No. And the thing is, like, when, when you're dealing with, like, serious shit that other people are, are going through, you know, sometimes it, it's enough to say nothing. Mm -hmm. Just put your hand on their hand and say, I'm listening. Not I'll be there like somewhere off in the future, but I'm here right now. And um, just find out what's going on with, with, with them. Because like what I found is more often than not is like I tell somebody, look, like I'm having a really shit run of things. I'm at the end of my fucking tether and I feel like I just don't want to be here anymore. The most common things that comes up is like the laundry list of all the things that these people think I've got to live for. Yep. And like I was explaining to you a couple of weeks back. And I fell into that trap. Well, and you didn't know any better. And that's why I want to put it out here is that all these reasons that you perceive is like these people having to live or, or having reason to live for. These are often like the very things that are causing them the most amount of stress and anguish. And that mm -hmm. list that you're trying to like remind them of is just rubbing in their face all of the reasons that they have for wanting to not live. Mm -hmm. And and I think the best thing in that kind of scenario that you can do is if you start listing off that list, listen. Because when I came off with that fucking list, I thought I was helping, looking at it from an inside view, because I did a lot to keep myself out of that category, so I don't have those same issues. Sure. But I listened, and when you said... But that doesn't help. Those are my stressors. I listened and I shut the fuck up. And I just stayed there. There yeah. was I didn't tell you I'm going to be there for you. I just stayed there in case you needed me. I didn't put any expectations on being there. I didn't put any fucking rigmarole, fucking look at me, pat myself on the back, fucking wah wah bullshit on my head. No, it was open. It was just eye contact and open ears. Yep. And when that stopped... I just stayed in the same area and waited. And if you needed me, I was there. If you didn't, then I went to sleep after you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, like there, there, there's shit we, we need to do for ourselves, right? There's shit that works for us. There's right. the shit that I, I think that like, if we care about each other, we should try to do for each other. Mm -hmm. But whether you're dealing with your own shit or you're trying to deal with somebody else's, take the time to actually think about what's, really going on take the time to learn about the situation either in you or in your loved one mm -hmm. don't just jump in and fucking hope for the best and maybe sometimes don't say anything right just sometimes the most settling situation which i learned the other night just sit beside the person and they know you're there you don't have that will speak louder than any fucking ver verbal confirmation you can give just sit beside and wait, don't go in with any expectations. Don't go in with any of these fucking platitudes about, oh, you'll feel better tomorrow, take an Ativan, fucking wake up in the morning, you know. You got Ativan? Uh, yeah. Oh, cool. Anyways, <laughs> Ativan. I've also got a pickup truck. 
Jesus. Um, <laughs> but don't say anything. Just sit down, shut the fuck up, and be what they need you to be. Period. sent me an article a few days ago from fempositive.com it's called me and my mom share the same boyfriend and we are totally okay with it okay the whole story centers around a, a letter that was sent into a message board called dear cupid and that's uh, a place where people can look for advice about re- relationships or uh, relationship problems or whatever the case may be okay anyways this, this girl wrote in looks like she hasn't used any name she's just used initials for the people involved so she's not canadian but she writes my mom a fell pregnant at 15 and dropped out of school she later completed her matric and qualified as a nurse while my mother was studying my grandparents cared for me my mother did not neglect me but regretted that she could not give me all the attention she wanted to in spite of the problems she ensured that i had a good education My father disappeared when he learned that my mother was pregnant. I never knew my father, and my mom never married, and as far as I know, had another relationship. I'm 20 now and at university. My mom has youthful looks, and people take us to be sisters. I like where this is going. Last year, I met this guy, S, and fell in love with him. He's 26, and we have been having intercourse at least five times a week. S uses a condom. I introduced S to my mom, and she immediately took a liking to him and became good friends. In January this year, my mother told me that she wants me to share S with her. I asked my mom what she meant, and she told me that she wanted S to share the bed with us. Jesus Christ, I'm getting hot. (laughs) I was taken aback, but since I love my mom and will do anything for her, I agreed. S was reluctant at first, but relented, and since then, my mom and I have had intercourse with S regularly. My mom and I have sex with S in each other's presence. My mom and I find it exciting to watch S having intercourse with us. So my question is, should my mom and I continue having intercourse with him, and if so, for how long? Both my... (laughs) Both my mom and I are quite comfortable that S has intercourse with both of us. Okay. <laughs> Lucky S. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Like, I have never managed to successfully seal the mother-slash-daughter deal. And more importantly, I've never met... Well, actually, I can't say I've never. I have met very few mother-daughter combos that I would want to fuck. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like I said, this letter was addressed to, like, that uh, Dear Cupid site for other people to weigh in. But I thought instead of, like, hearing what other people had for advice for this delicious slut and her mother, what, if anything, do you have to say on the matter? Well, more power to you, for one. I personally don't see an issue with it. So long as all three parties are consenting, right? Absolutely. Yeah. And it's not like mom can get daughter pregnant. Let's hope not. So, <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't see a problem with it. It's their choice. It's not like they're sleeping with each other and just having an incestuous relationship. They're sharing a guy. If they're know, both like, okay with it, whose fucking business is it to chime in? Yeah, like, from where I sit, I mean, it's, it's like, a little weird. But, like, it's not, like, weird to the point where I think, like, it's a problem. 
Well, it's not like Alabama. It, it just, yeah, it just, it's like, it's not my fucking thing. But there's a lot of things that are not my thing that, like, I don't know. I don't know if I really fucking care a whole lot. No, because I'll tell you, like, if, if I were in a position where I could take advantage of something like that, I would. If it was appealing, right? right? If it was appealing, right? If it if it fit in my level of of well, actually, I don't have a level of pretty much fuck anything, but <laughs> <laughs> but if it was a consensual and you know, I would never be interested in this. You know, I see some of this perverted, stupid shit where oh, mom, we've drugged mum and you know the the son and daughter go at mum. Well, that's well, that that's rape. That's dumb, right? But they're consenting. They're both of age. I'm, I'm presuming. Yeah. Well, she said that she was like 20 and her mother presumably is older than 20, right? right. And hopefully the guy's not 16. <laughs> no, they, they said the guy, I think, was like in his mid-20s. Okay. So. so then A is okay with it. Mm-hmm. B is okay with it. Mm-hmm. And C is okay with it. Right. And they're all of age, even in the States, because 21 is of age. Mm-hmm. Where's the harm? Most of the people that I'm aware of that read this story got, I guess, a little worked up over different elements than what I got worked up over or at least worked up in different ways. Cause like the idea <laughs> of like being in this dude's position and like bagging hot mom and hot daughter and like everybody being okay with it. Like that to me is the Holy grail of sexual experiences. Yeah. Um, the, the part I found a little bit strange, I guess is the responses that this letter got on. Okay. Cupid. Okay. So what, what are some of the responses then? Okay, like the the first one I read was, is this for real? In each other's presence? Ew. This has all sorts of wrong attached to it. Borderline incestuous feeling. But you've already made your decisions about it, so continue until you don't feel like it anymore? My question to you is, you describe the situation as if you've been happy with it all along, yet you then ask the question, why question what you're happy with unless you're not happy with it, and haven't told us why you're not. Okay, totally valid point, but uh, the ooh factor didn't have to be in there, but... Yeah, I, I think the ooh is irrelevant. Right. Another one was, uh, if the three of you were to be shipped off to an island, then yes, you can continue sharing for as long as you want. But we live in a society with rules and appropriate manners to follow. What you are doing is frowned upon, and I bet the only people you are telling about this is strangers online. You may not have a dad, but you surely would not let your grandparents know about this. What you are doing is a taboo, and you are enjoying it as long as nobody knows about it. S would probably want to get married and have a family too. He can't marry both of you, so to avoid this mess, he would probably leave both of you alone. I don't think anyone is in love with anyone here. Just in lust. Your mom wants to create the bond she never had with you, and the common thing you have, unfortunately, is the guy. You should do something else with her, like shopping and traveling. She may not feel like your mom, give you useful advice about life, but at least she shouldn't do anything that's yucky. Oh my god, come on. Can First of all, can you grow up a little bit? It, it seems like everything keeps coming back to the, the ick factor, right? Mm-hmm. And I think if, like, the only objection you have to a situation, like any situation, is the ick response, well, then fuck you. Uh-huh. That ick is not a valid response. Ick is personal comfort level. Your personal comfort level has no place in their relationship. Correct. And it's not like they're doing it on the sidewalk when you're walking to fucking work 
or when you're going down to grab a coffee, they're not fucking doing it on the sidewalk. They're not having sex outside. Well, the truth is, even if people are engaged in a relationship that, like, follows along with the rules of society, like, mm-hmm. say, like a married one-man, one-woman couple, I mean, that's as traditional as it gets, right? Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to see what's going on between those two. No, and if I do, I'll watch porn. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yep. But there's no ick factor there. It's it's just a matter of appropriate time, appropriate place. Sure. Where this guy is putting his holier than that, and I bet you to fuck this asshole's a Christian. <laughs> but where he's putting his holier than fuck attitude is in the middle of somebody else's business. Of course, he was invited there by them. I will grant him that. Yeah, that's fair. But just because you don't agree with it doesn't mean you have the right to put your mortality on it. She asked your opinion. Give your opinion, shut the fuck up after that, and go walk on. Mortality or morality? Did I say mortality? Yeah. I meant morality. (laughs) (laughs) Professionalism. But, you know, so leave your morality out of it. Give her your opinion and leave it alone. Don't tell them what to do. Don't tell them, ooh, it's, it's a yuck. Well, you know what else is yucky? Taking a shit. Yeah. We all fucking do it. Uh-huh. Some of us do it in the middle of the fucking street. Yeah. Or, well, have. <laughs> well, out of necessity or boredom, I guess. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, it's like the kid's book says. Everybody poops. And, like, here's a reality. Almost everybody fucks. Almost. And, like, yeah, I, I don't really care, like, when you're taking your shit, I don't care if you're sitting on the toilet, like, in a way that I would deem to be normal. I don't care if you're straddling the toilet facing the tank. I don't care if your feet are on the seat and you're squatting above the toilet. I don't care if you shit in your hand and then fucking place it in the toilet gingerly. Mm-hmm. None of these things are my goddamn business. That's all your personal fucking shit. And yeah. it's not for me or for anybody else to judge and say, look, you're pooping wrong. Mm-hmm. Now, what What's your opinion on it? Okay, here's my opinion. Don't bind me to your moral fabric. Well, let's say my opinion is it's not for me. That's yep. really the be-all and end-all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Me, personally, I wouldn't do it, but, you know, I'm not in your situation. If you're enjoying it and you guys are okay with it, then that's all that matters. The reality is. Yeah, like, for me, like, I read this letter, and I was thinking, okay, well, ultimately, she's looking for some valuable insight. I mean, from, where, from my perspective, mm-hmm. the valuable insight has nothing to do with whether or not this situation is for me. Because when I look at the situation... And I'm thinking, okay, like, let's personalize this. This isn't a letter I'm reading online. This is a friend of mine coming to me and saying, look, like, me and my mom have been fucking this dude. What can you say on the subject? My honest advice would be to look at this like any other, like, polyamorous uh, relationship. Mm -hmm. Saying, look, like, communication is key. Comfort level is key. Hygiene, consent, like, these are all things we need to discuss. Like, are you emotionally prepared for sharing somebody with whom you have a close emotional bond. Mm -hmm. These are the things you need to resolve in your own head before even really engaging, ideally. Right. Is this going to cause a long-term strain on the relationship with your mom? Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with two people sharing a sexual partner. You know, the sexual partner, that might be a temporary thing, but the relationship between mother and daughter, that is presumably a permanent thing. Like, you want to figure out, like, how to protect, I guess, like any other poly relationship, you want to figure out what steps you're going to take to protect the primary relationship. Right. You have to understand the dynamics. Right. Yeah. And you sort of have to prioritize it. Okay, if we're bringing somebody into the relationship, well, 
what does that look like? Are they coming in as a full equal? Are they coming in, you know, slightly lower in the pecking order? If there is a problem between any two of us, where do we go from there? Do we sit down as a trio and decide, like, how are we going to deal with our relationship problems? Or does the primary couple say, look, it was fun while it lasted, but, like, mom's got to go. Otherwise, this isn't going to work with me and you. Like, Mm -hmm. there's so many logistical questions that that come up for me. And and I think, unfortunately, that got lost on those who were an audience to this this letter. Right. Well, and there's, there's the opposite side of it, too. Like... You're talking about, you know, are you emotionally prepared for this? Are you emotionally prepared for that? Are you emotionally prepared for the situation of him making a different choice? He came in your boyfriend and shared. What if he leaves her boyfriend and you're out of the situation? Well, yeah, and, and I think that all, like, ties into, like, you know, how are you going to deal with maintaining the primary relationship, right. which communication, I think... Communication, communication. Which I, in this situation, it's a little different, granted, because... Typically, I would say, okay, if it's a case of like using my wife and I as an example, Mm -hmm. if we decide we're going to bring in a third, my wife and I in that situation would be the primary relationship. Right. Because this is a mother-daughter thing, I don't think that like, okay, like the the daughter and the boyfriend, they aren't the primary relationship in this trio. Mom and daughter are. Yes. Right? 100% agree, yeah. If mom wants to fuck off with the boyfriend, they've got feelings with it. But daughter is like, look, this isn't something I can get past. I think mom owes it to the primary relationship with her daughter to say, look, like, I got big feels for this dude, but you're more important. So, like, I got to take care of you and I first. Mm -hmm. Like, granted, it's a fucking complicated situation, even for those of us who are not monogamous. The complication is in no way related to the ick factor. Right. Yeah, the X factor isn't ours to make. All of us come across questions online at different times. You know, it's not limited to the relationship arena. It's not re- related to the sexual arena. But, I mean, there's there, there's questions that we come across that I think they don't get put in the public forum because people are trying to keep them private. Quite the opposite, right? They're, right. they're, they're casting a wide net and trying to get a, a wide array of, like, valuable feedback Mm -hmm. your feedback doesn't have to be positive to be valuable what it does need to be is Mm non-judgmental i think if we approach these or if we try to get into the habit of approaching these questions with an open mind constructively yeah Yeah. detach ourselves emotionally take personal comfort out of it and say okay like this question is being asked to me this isn't an invitation for me to like put my horse in the race this is a case of, okay, like, what are you looking for with this question? Am I in a position to offer it to you? If right. not, shut the fuck up. It's not your question to answer if, if if you can't offer something. If you're casting judgment, then you have no right to speak. Yeah, people don't, yeah, th- th- I think that's really it. I ask a question because I want an answer. I don't ask a question because I want to invite ridicule or judgment. Mm-hmm. Easy for us to say, like, let's be there for each other. Let's be there for our friends. Right. I think in the context of the online community, let's fucking be there for strangers too. It doesn't fucking cost you a goddamn thing. Get over yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, give, give an ob- objective opinion, not a judgmental one. Thank you for listening. This is and always will be a politically incorrect version of the Missionary Position Podcast. Mission Studios, the Missionary Position Podcast, their employees or its entertainers are in no way comparable for anyone being butthurt, slighted, or in any way offended. 
If you as a human being cannot accept that something may sound like a close resemblance to your situation and not be totally about you in your little remnants of an existence, that is your issue. And again, not the responsibility of the studio, podcast, employees, or its presenters. Send your opinions, hate mail, boob pics, full nudes, ideas, or questions in the form of an email to missionarypod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at missionarypod and like us on Facebook at Missionary Position Podcast. If you are so inclined to help this broadcast get better, or just wish to help out, our Patreon account is patreon.com slash missionarypod. 